but uh, now we're going to come on to our reading from Ephesians. As you know, we've been reading Ephesians this term, and uh, with the help of uh, our friends in Ashford, uh, Keith will be on in a moment to, uh, to share the Lord's word with us. Now we're coming up to week four. The first two weeks, we were learning about church unity and how we all play a part in acting as one body. And then last week, uh, Keith Wilson came on and we were learning more about individuality and how we change ourselves. And Keith was sharing about how we put off our old life, how we receive blessing, and then we put on our new life. And that, uh, and we learn that this is a gradual process with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us once we become a Christian. These things don't change overnight, uh, but it is a gradual learning process for us. And so we're going to continue with that theme. And so today we're reading from Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32, which says this. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That is, it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so now I'll hand over to Keith Wilson, who's live at Ashford for us, to hopefully help us to understand more of, of that reading. Good morning, everyone. Yes, good. It's lovely to be with you again. Now, let me um, let me just put up a picture for you. Um, and I'd like you to see what these four things have in common. OK, there's four pictures there. There's a, um, a, a brick that's uh, masquerading as a telephone, mobile phone. There is an aeroplane that you may recognize. There is a rather fancy red sports car and there is a beer bottle. So what do you think those four things have in common? Well, I'll give you the answer. Um, they are all prototypes, okay? Now it's hard to think that that is in fact how mobile phones started out. Uh, but that is uh, a Motorola phone from the 1970s. The plane is obviously Concorde, making its maiden flight in 1969 before it went into production. Uh, the fancy red sports car is a prototype uh, Model S Tesla, uh, which is an electric car, of course. And uh, the beer bottle is, in fact, a type Colesberg paper beer bottle. Yeah, paper beer bottle. 
So uh, that's quite incredible, isn't it? So prototypes, all of them. Now, um, a prototype is the first or the original version of something from which the final version, the type, emerges. The prototype is, is not the finished version, but it's sufficiently like it so that we would have a clear idea what it will one day look like. Now, Paul tells us later in Ephesians that one day the church, Christ's bride, will be radiant without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That is the type. That is the future finished article. The bride perfectly adorned to meet her husband, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. It's a beautiful picture and a wonderful promise. That means today the church is a prototype. We're not the full finished article, but we must bear sufficient likeness to the finished article to give the world a clear idea what one day it will be like. Now, what is true of the universal church or Stainscom? And it happens as collectively and individually, we bear an ever greater likeness to the Lord Jesus. This is what maturity in faith looks like. Chapter four, verse 15. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. Now, you may remember last week uh, we had these Venn diagrams um, where I was saying that uh, wouldn't it be great if uh, this is the old life before Christ? Wouldn't it be great if when we become Christians, there's really nothing of the old life that impacts our, our new life in Christ. That would be that would be wonderful. But it's not like that, is it? It's more like this. Here's the old life. Here's the new life. And we're living in that intersection. It, it's a place of conflict where we have to constantly put off the old nature and put on the new nature through a renewing of our minds. Now, that's what last section, last week's section was about. It was kind of setting this up. Now, this week and the next two weeks, we're looking at what that looks like in practice. And in today's passage, there are five things that are part of our old life, in Christ, old life before Christ that we're to put off. And there are five things that are part of our new life in Christ that we're to put on. And each time uh, the Apostle Paul gives, if you like, the, the reason for it. So I've got another little uh, flip chart page here hopefully you can see this down the left hand side of the old life five things here the new life five things here and we're gonna we're just gonna walk through them quite steadily uh, in turn so what is the first one well the first one is lying or falsehood paul says therefore each of you must put off falsehood so the first trait of our old life before christ is that of falsehood now, this covers uh, both the big lies, but also the little white lies. It, it covers those moments when maybe we're in the office, the phone rings, someone says, oh, it's so and so for you. And you think, oh, I really don't want to talk to them. Oh, tell them I'm busy when you're not really. You just don't want to talk to them. It covers flattery. It covers exaggeration. These are the sort of things that may have been the stock in trade for our life before Christ, but they have no place in our new life. In their place, true speech, 
we're to speak the truth to our neighbour. It means being honest with each other, which can sometimes be a bit uncomfortable, can't it? It might mean calling out someone on something rather than just sort of letting it pass. Now, Paul's already told us, hasn't he, earlier in the chapter, chapter 4, verse 15, that our mark of maturing as followers of Christ is that we speak the truth in love to one another. And then Paul gives the motivation for this, because in each turn, time, it's the old life, the new life. And then the most all members of one body. Now, of course, in saying this, Paul isn't saying, well, it's OK to lie to people who aren't a part of the church, who aren't Christians. No, but he's especially concerned that we display honesty, transparency and truth in our relationships with each other in the body of Christ. After all, given that we are united by faith to the one, the Lord Jesus, who's the very embodiment of truth, it would be bizarre, wouldn't he? Uh, to to uh, flagrantly display sort of lying and falsehood in our lives lives. So let me end this first one by just asking you, you know, are there any relationships in the church where you know that basically you've been afraid to speak the truth for whatever reason? I know in my life there have been moments like that, but uh, a bit of a challenge this morning, any relationships in the church, with fellow believers, where you know you've just not been speaking the truth for whatever reason. So that's the first thing, lying to be replaced by truthful speech. The second one is anger. Anger's the thing to uh, where to get rid of. In your anger, Paul says, verse 26, do not sin. Now, there is, of course, something called righteous anger. This is what Jesus displayed, wasn't it, when he uh, drove out the money changers from the temple in John chapter two. Now, it's right to be angry when we see people being exploited. It's right to feel anger, for instance, when we read of Boko Haram executing Christians, burning down churches and raping women in Nigeria. It's right to be angry about those sorts of things. But the reality, I suspect, is this. The things we should get angry about, we don't. And the things we shouldn't get angry about, we do. You know, it's very easy, isn't it, to, to quickly blame and vilify people. You know, we post an angry comment on social media or fire off an angry email because we don't like what someone said. It's often because of wounded pride, isn't it, on our part. So what are we to do with our anger? Well, Paul says what we're to do is don't let the sun go down while we're still angry. By that, he means deal with it ASAP, as soon as possible. So in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Because anger that is left and not dealt with just festers and it gets bigger and bigger. And once again, Paul gives the motivation for the hasty dealing with anger in that uh, it will not give the devil a foothold. Let me give you an example. From Proverbs, it says this. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. 
You see, when a fellow believer says or does something that really annoys us or doesn't say something or doesn't do something that, that uh, we get a bit upset about, we could take the bait and get ang angry. This will uh, colour how we view that person going forward and our fellowship with that. our own hearts this is giving the devil a foothold and he likes nothing more than causing disruption and division in the body of christ alternatively what the proverb is saying is we could overlook what the person has said or done or not said or not done hand it over to god in prayer and not dwell on it our attitude toward our brother and sister would then remain intact the devil's not being given any legroom at all. And we're probably thinking well of that person rather than ill. So again, let me ap apply this perhaps a little uh, close to the bone. Are there any relationships in church where you've allowed anger to take hold and your fellowship with your brother and sister is, is currently somewhat fractured? I don't know about you, but I, I certainly through this, these last months of the pandemic and et cetera, I've been quite hasty in forming judgment of people who perhaps adopt practices or, or that I just don't necessarily agree with. And how easily Satan's made me thought think bad thoughts of them. So there's a second one. In your anger, don't let the sun go down on it. I deal with it as soon as possible. There's the first two. What's the third one? The third one is stealing. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. Now, the eighth commandment is you shall not steal, which is pretty clear. Most of us will probably think, oh, well, I, I never steal. Well, let me give some examples where it's quite possible to steal. Uh, what about not paying the taxes? That you owe? Uh, what about claiming expenses from your employer that aren't legitimate? What about making bogus PPI claims? What about cheating on your timesheet? Claiming hours that you didn't work? What about making a fraudulent insurance claim? Or what about uh, accepting furlough pay even though you know that you're working? They're all a form of stealing, aren't they? The reason that most people think that they're OK is it's only a little bit. The company won't notice and uh, everyone else is doing it after all. Well, this may have been a part of our old life before Christ, but it mustn't be a part of our new. So what does replace what replaces stealing? Well, what replaces stealing is work. We must work doing something useful with our own hands you see work is a good thing work god is a work currently made us in his image as workers now it may be paid work it may be voluntary work but um, our jobs are a gift from god and the remuneration we get from our jobs it, it is a way of god providing for our needs and the motivation for not stealing but working is quite an eye-opener isn't it that he may have something, he or she may have something to share with those in need. Now, my guess is most of us view our pay packet as 
simply ours. It's ours. It's our way of, of getting, getting new clothes or getting a better phone, uh, getting a bigger house, getting a nicer holiday, more stuff for the kids and so on and so forth. But Paul says that our motivation for working is that our remuneration provides us with an opportunity not of getting, but of giving. A mark of the early church in Acts was there were no needy persons among them. John writes in his uh, first letter that if anyone has uh, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, i.e., doesn't do anything about it, how can the love of God be in him? Well, of course, it can't. So let me ask you: Do you see your possessions as primarily your own? to meet just your needs or do you see them perhaps as gods and that you're a steward of them to use them not only to provide for your needs but to provide for the needs of others too so stealing is has no place in our lives as christians instead of it there is work now the fourth one is unwholesome speech or, or rotten talk. He says, doesn't he, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, the, un, the original word for unwholesome is literally rotten. It's a bit like having a, you've probably seen it, you, you've got a bowl of satsumas, they, they've sat on the sideboard for a little while, they all look okay on the top, but then as you sort of peel a few away, you see one at the bottom that's just gone green. And it doesn't go green in isolation, does it? It starts to affect all the others around it. And that's what unwholesome speech does. It, it affects those around. Let me tell you a story. There was a guy I used to work with up in the city and we generally got on pretty well. We were, we were colleagues working in the same department. But you know what? Whenever we spend time together, we go out for a beer or lunch or, or just uh, you know hang out, you know what? He would always, always just moan about our colleagues. He'd complain about uh, how much he wasn't being paid, you know, and he would just have a general grumble about the firm, the company we work for. Nothing was ever right. And I always found after I spent time with him, you know, I began to sort of grumble and moan a bit. That's what happens, isn't it, to rotten talk. Rotten talk, like the, the rotten satsuma, it, it can affect others. But this is not how we're meant to be as followers of Christ. Something's to replace rotten talk and it's edifying speech. But only, Paul says, what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, our tongues are powerful. James tells us in his letter, doesn't he, that no man can tame the tongue. But thanks be to the Holy Spirit that our tongues can be put to good use in that our words can have a savouring and encouraging flavour to them. Our conversation should always build others up and benefit them. And the motivation for this wholesome, edifying speech is that it pleases God. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God's mark of ownership in the life of the Christian is the Holy Spirit. And one of the primary purposes of the Spirit is as that he makes us holy. 
So whenever we live according to the old nature, in this case with rotten speech, then it grieves the spirit. And it's, uh, it's not Christ-like behavior. So let me ask you again, do you try to build others up in your speech? Are your words meeting their needs? Or perhaps are you prone to rotten speech, fault-finding constantly in people, grumbling, and perhaps making every conversation about you? That's the old life. This is the new life. And then the last one, I've just put bitterness. Bitterness. The last characteristic of the old life is is. I've got it, if you like, the bitterness chain, because in verse 31, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. I've called it the bitterness chain because bitterness is in a person is what often leads to these other things. Bitterness is that sort of deep down resentful spirit in a person which simply refuses to be reconciled with another person who might have hurt them or, or disadvantaged them perhaps sometime. A bit like a dog with a bone, they simply refuse to ever let that situation go. I find few things sadder in pastoral ministry um, than sitting with someone, sometimes an older person, who's just bitter about their life. You hear the same stories, the same grievances, the same people who hurt them. But this is not how it's meant to be for followers of Christ. Instead, what are we to be? Well, I've put here KFC. Be kind and compassionate for one another, forgiving each other. Kindness, forgiveness, and compassion. It's the trinity of graces that are to characterize our lives. Hence, it's easy to remember. And the motivation, uh, finally, for uh, that generous, forgiving attitude towards others is quite simply this. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And I wonder, did you spot the difference there? We forgive each other because God forgave us. There's a very important distinction in the tenses. We forgive, present tense, always, continually. That must be our practice. Why? Because God forgave, past tense, completed action, never needing to be repeated. So at the heart of bitterness, is, an, is, is a, a heart of unforgiveness. And that is why it has no place in the life of the Christian, because it's actually a flagrant denial of the gospel. We have been forgiven gloriously through Christ, all sin, past, present and future. And that is the basis why we are to be kind, forgiving and compassionate towards one another. So let me ask you, are there grievances that you continue to nurse in your heart that you mean that you are displaying a, a spirit of unforgiveness towards certain people? And that's, I appreciate it's not always 
uh, easy, but it needs to be dealt with. So in summary, these are the five things that Paul has identified that we're to put off. Characteristics of the old nature before Christ. We're to take these off like, like old clothes that, that, that have no place. And these are what to, to take their place. These are the five features, clothes of the new nature. And as we walk through them, I ended with a question um, that sort of challenges us. And you see, whenever we display these characteristics of our old life as Christians, then it not only affects us individually, but it also impacts the body of Christ. Remember where I began, it was that the, the, the church is a prototype. It's a prototype now that should be sufficiently like the type, the finished perfect church, that it bears some resemblance. So whenever we are displaying characteristics of our old life, we're not presenting either ourselves or the church as we should be. But whenever we put on these, these new clothes, the, the, the characteristics of our new life, then gloriously, we are pointing people towards what the church will one day be fully like. So um, think about those questions. Think about perhaps whether there's unforgiveness towards someone. Think about... Um, Maybe some honest conversation I maybe need to have with someone I've not been speaking truthfully to. Maybe is there someone who I'm angry? I've let the sun go down and it has affected my relationship. Maybe undergo a bit of a mindset change about possessions, seeing them not as ours for our keeping, but rather God's and we're stewards of them to use them to serve others in need. And also our speech, what comes out of our mouths. Does it build others up or does it tear them down? Jesus said, didn't he? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what he says is what comes out of here is the reflection of what's in here. Let me pray. Dear Lord God, thank you that one day your work in us will be finished. We will be that beautiful bride who meets the Lord Jesus without any fault. But until that day, help us by your spirit to grow more like the Lord Jesus. Help us to dispense with those things that belong to the old nature. And put on those things that belong to the new. Give us the courage to do some of the things that maybe we realize we, we need to do as a result of this message this morning. Maybe putting right a relationship that's not right. Maybe speaking some truth into the life of a, a fellow believer that we've been afraid of doing. Thank you that in all of this, you would be glorified and your church would grow ever more brighter as the light and the hope of the world. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.